Let's pray before we begin. Lord please let us understand your word and put it in our hearts. May it shape our lives to be more like your Son. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. It's an amazing thing to me, how that it got lost. You know there are many things in the Bible that took place in one era, but were left off in another era. There are many things in the Bible that were in the law, that were nailed to the cross and were not, are not appropriate nor applicable to our day. There are many things that we do today they did not do in, under the law. There are many things that took place in the age of the patriarchs, and, uh, but, uh, but uh, no longer are they applicable. There are many things that took place while the Jews were in bondage that, were, that have not obviously been for us since then. But it's an amazing thing to me that a doctrine that has been so prevalent through the entire history of our religion suddenly, in our age, is almost extinct. If I were to ask you tonight, <clears throat> how many of you have ever fasted for three days? I mean, ate nothing for three days. I think it would be an amazing revelation. Yet here's a doctrine that is as simple and as plain as baptism. It is as plain as any as the doctrine of separation from the world, the Lord's Supper, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's as plain as any doctrine in the Bible. How sad, then, that it's been overlooked. Let me just take a few moments to begin the message by just giving you uh, something about how, how uh, widespread and how prevalent this doctrine is and how it has spanned the ages. As far as I know... The first time in the Bible we find fasting mentioned. By the way, I, I think I better explain fasting. Fasting is a pure fast, a total fast, is going without bread or food or drink for a period of time. For example, if you take 24 hours or one day and you, do not, you eat nothing or drink nothing, you've been on a pure fast. There is what we call a juice fast that... Um, is a, a fast where we eat nothing, but we do drink. We can drink water, we can drink juices, but we eat nothing solid, put nothing solid in our bodies. So when I think of, when I'm preaching about fasting, when I, when, I, when I speak on fasting, I'm speaking about not eating. Now, <clears throat> whether you want to drink juices or water, that's, that's up to you. But I'm speaking tonight about not eating for a period of time, fasting. The first time, as far as I know in the Bible, where fasting is mentioned is in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 28, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. The Bible says he did not eat or drink for forty days or 40, and forty nights. Then uh, we keep, come on, I'm not, not, not going to hit all of them, but to show you that fasting is a part of almost every age in Bible history, we come to Elijah on Mount Horeb. In 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 8, the Bible says that Elijah ate food and that meat was for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah, as was the case in Moses' life, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 22, David fasted, the Bible says, when David lost the baby. Remember the baby born of Bathsheba and the baby died. The baby was, was uh, sickened to death. And David went alone and fasted for a season while he was mourning. Ezra fasted, or called a fast, in Ezra 8.21. After the Jews had returned from captivity in Babylon, he proclaimed a fast. 
The same is true in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 1, where the people in the great revival under the preaching of Ezra in the book of Nehemiah, the Bible says they fasted and they prayed. In um, <coughs> Esther 4.3, we find that the Jews proclaimed a fast in the days of Esther. You recall when Esther uh, risked her life to go before the king, and don't you recall how that Haman got the king to proclaim, make a proclamation that all the Jews would be killed, and the Jews proclaimed a time of fasting and prayer. Then Jehoshaphat fasted in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3. Daniel fasted in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3. It is said that he continued uh, praying with supplication and thanksgiving. Daniel fasted. Then at times of national calamity, the people of God fasted. In Joel 1.14, in a time of national calamity, a fast was proclaimed for all the people. In Jeremiah 36 and verse 9, another national calamity came, and the people fasted. They went without food. I mean the entire nation went without food. In Zechariah's day, they had stated fast. There was a fast in the fourth month, in the fifth month, in the seventh month, and in the tenth month. Uh, there, there was a fast, a stated fast. The Bible says of Anna, the prophetess, in Luke 2.37, the little lady who had prayed and wanted to see the Christ child. The Bible says that Anna fasted. Then our Lord fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness after or before he was tempted. The early church fasted in, uh, in Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. They were sending out the first missionaries. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were going out. And the Bible says that they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. And then in the 14th chapter of the book of Acts, once again, they fasted as they sent out people to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The early church fasted. Cornelius fasted in Acts chapter 10 and verse 30. The apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 5, he was talking about his ministry, trying to approve his ministry. And the apostle Paul said, um, he said, um, uh, approving ourselves in fasting. And then in Second uh, Corinthians eleven twenty seven, he was outlining his ministry, and Paul said, in fastings often. Um, our country has, has uh, fasted. Did you know that General George Washington several times called a national day of fasting and prayer for our nation? Did you know that James Madison called a day of fasting and prayer? John Quincy Adams called a day of fasting and prayer at least four times. In the life of Abraham Lincoln, he called a day of fasting and prayer for our nation to fast and pray and seek God's face. Now, that's a strange thing. We've begun tonight with the book of Exodus and Moses. We have gone down through Moses and Elijah and Ezra and Nehemiah. We've gone down. We've covered the time of the law. We've covered the time of the prophets. We've covered the time of the exile. We've covered the time of post-exile. There was Daniel who fasted in exile. There was uh, Ezra and Nehemiah who called a fast or proclaimed a fast in post-exile days. And there was Jesus who fasted. There was the early church that fasted. In the early days of our nation, we fasted. Now, the question I'd like to ask you, whatever happened to it? You, you, you say nowadays, prayer and fasting. Somebody says, Pentecostal. Well, if that's Pentecostal, mark me down as a Pentecostal. I mean, you name it, I'm just going to believe it. The Bible, there's not one place in the Bible, not one place in the Bible that ever says that fasting is not scriptural. Oh, you say Jesus said that uh, while the bridegroom is here, you shouldn't fast. You, when you fast when the bridegroom's gone. Well, i got news for you. He's gone. He's gone. For three and a half years he was here, 
But he's back to heaven now. And if Jesus was saying anything, he was saying, when I'm gone, fast and pray. And then all, oh, well, you said the Bible says, Jesus said, when you fast, don't be like hypocrites. Yeah, I know, but he did say, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. He was taking for, taking for granted that his people were supposed to fast. Now, you listen to me. Fasting is as much a Bible doctrine and a command of God as baptism is. Fasting is as much a part of the Bible as the Lord's Supper is. Fasting, as much as, is, as much is said in the Bible about fasting as is said about being born again. The word fasting is mentioned more times in the Bible than the term born again. It's mentioned more times in the Bible than the term new birth. It's mentioned more times in the Bible than the terms born again, new birth, and regeneration all put together. Now, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. We've let the wildfire scare us away from any fire. Somebody said, well, I don't like the fast because it associates you with a certain element. Listen, just because somebody's wrong on a doctrine doesn't mean we ought to forget it. I know some folks that sprinkle babies. Does that mean we shouldn't baptize at all? I know some folks that talk in tongues. Does that mean we shouldn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit at all? Absolutely not. Now, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why the New Testament church has lost its power is the New Testament church has, has drifted from the doctrine and departed from the doctrine of fasting. Now, you say, Brother Hiles, I believe in prayer. The Bible says prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Well, yes, I believe God answers prayer. Yeah, there's some kind of prayer God won't answer unless you fast while you pray, though. And I'm going to show you some things tonight. Now, I'm going to give you three reasons. Three reasons why fasting is necessary. In the first place, it is necessary for the hard cases. It is necessary for the hard cases. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 9, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, chapter 9, I want to show you a very simple truth concerning the hard cases. Mark chapter 9. <coughs> Mark chapter 9. And uh, verse 29. Mark 9, 29. I want you to read it out loud with me, please. Would you please? Ready? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. This kind? What kind? Listen carefully, and I'll tell you a story. Our Lord had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think Mount Tabor. Some think Mount Hermon. I think Mount Tabor. Our Lord had been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. It was there that Moses and Elijah came and conversed with Peter, James, and John and with our Lord. It was there that our Lord received his glorified body and was transfigured into the same kind of body that he was going to have someday after his resurrection from the dead. And one for you, Jesus, and let's stay up here. No, but Jesus knew not to do that. For Jesus knew that down at the foot of that mountain there was a young, a young man who was in need of him. So Jesus turns, goes back down the mountain, and he gets down the mountain, the man comes up and says, Master, Master, I want to talk to you. And Jesus said, Okay, what is it? And he said, My boy is possessed of devils. My boy is wild. He's a maniac. He falls at the mouth. He throws himself on the ground. He tears his clothes apart. My boy is possessed of devils. Now he said, 
I went to the disciples, the ones, those who were down here, and I asked the disciples to take care of my boy and to cast the devils out of my boy. Now, <clears throat> the disciples couldn't, didn't do it. Now I said, Lord, if you can do anything, please have mercy. And Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. Notice how he changed the if. If thou canst, and Jesus said, if thou canst believe, the if is not in God's part, the if is in our part. The reason miracles don't take place is not God's fault. I get a little tired of people saying, well, this is not the age of miracles. You've got a hole in your head. Somebody sold you a wooden nickel. You've got bats in your belfry. This is the age of miracles. It's just not the age of folks who believe it. People say, well, the Bible says, now about his faith, hope, and love, these three, that's all that abides now. No more of the gifts of the Spirit at all. No, that doesn't, that, the Bible doesn't teach that. Now about his faith, hope, and love, these three, but there still abides healing. And there still abides faith, and there still abides power, and there still abides the gifts of the Spirit that they had in the early church are as available tonight as they were 2,000 years ago. Amen. I will not, I will not, I will not explain away the power of God. I, because some folks have wildfire, I still believe we can have the fire. We don't have to have the wildfire. But we can get, and by the way, I've got more respect for folks that get the wrong fire than folks that don't believe in fire at all. I have more respect, respect for folks that get a little mixed up on doctrines and go out and talk in tongues. And I do these dead Baptists that say it's not available for our generation. Amen. Every I like what Vance Heaven used to say. He, in his southern drawl, he said, he said, I start praying. And claiming Jeremiah 33, 3. And a theologian came up and said, that's not for you. And he said, so I turned John 15, 7. And a theologian said, that's not for this dispensation. He said, good night. I was getting prayers answered for three years on those promises before I found out they weren't for me. They are for you. <clears throat> they are for you. They are for you. They are for you. The power of God is for you. And the blessings of God is for you. But uh, so Jesus, uh, the fellow said, uh, uh, if thou canst do anything. And Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him to believe it. And Jesus reached out and lifted the boy up. And the boy was in his right mind. A miracle. Now then, after the fellow had left with his boy, the disciples came and said, Jesus, could we talk to you for a minute, please? And the Lord said, yes, you can. And they said, they brought that boy to us. Why couldn't we cast out the devil? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus answered and said, This kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now you listen to me, you young preachers especially, and you folks that want the power of God upon your life. Now you mark it down, this supernatural. I mean the kind where everybody in town knows something's going on. And the power of God is there. And the cough nuts are gotten. And the harlots are made sober. And the drunkards are pure. And the drunkards are made sober. And lives are transformed. And wicked men tremble. And the power of God is obviously there. And things are going on. You mark it down, that kind comes not by revival campaign a poster on the barbershop wall. Oh, you can, you can get an evangelist to come in. He can even have a pair of, of suede shoes. And they can be red. And he can have red breeches and a white sport coat and a red tie. And he can even have his picture made like that. And you get a high-powered singer come in, and he can sing all of their songs. And, uh, and, uh, and he can have his hair. He can have his hair real long. 
And uh, he'd come in, and you, and you could have a good, pretty good meeting. And you have a decision service for the children, and you can and use your personality, and use your funny stories, and play your trombone, and, and play with one hand, and lead with the other, and advance and get up, and preach the best sermons he has, and have a pretty good meeting. But brother, if something happens where everybody in town knows that God is there, where everybody in town knows the Holy Ghost is there, and the tough nuts are saved, and the hard cases are transformed, and the sick are healed, and the hard cases are saved... If that takes place, somebody's got to pray and fast if that takes place. Now, God does the hard cases by prayer and fasting. You say, preacher, you sound like a Pentecostal. You just name me, I'm preaching the Bible. The Bible says this kind, Jesus said, this kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You say, do you mean, Brother Hiles, you believe the sick can be healed? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I don't think God always heals the sick. Uh, I, think, I think it's not always God's will to heal the sick. You see, on one side, you've got the fellow says, if you're sick, you've been in sin, and God wants to heal all the sick. On the other side, you've got the Baptist that says God doesn't heal anybody that's sick. Now, in between there is Bible truth. No, God doesn't heal all the sick. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19 had special gifts of healing, didn't he? Even the Bible says that, 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 that handkerchiefs were, 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 were laid on sick people and were healed, but Paul couldn't even heal himself. He, he, was, he had a, a malady. He had a thorn in the flesh. He came to the Lord and said, Lord, heal this thorn in the flesh. Heal this sickness. And the Lord didn't do it. He came the second time and said, Lord, heal this sickness. And the Lord didn't do it. He came the third time and said, Lord, heal this sickness. And the Lord didn't do it. And then the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, Paul couldn't even heal Timothy. He wrote Timothy and said, Drink a little wine for the stomach's sake. That was not the kind you get down at the package store. Amen. That's churches. Uh, juice, uh, or Welch's grape juice. Drink a little grape juice for the stomach's sake. How do you know? Because it said for the stomach's sake. An intoxicating beverage is not for the stomach's sake. And I know that Jesus wouldn't go against the direct, I mean Paul wouldn't go against the direct teaching of all the Bible. Look not upon the bottle when it is red. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. But I'm saying this. I'm saying Paul couldn't heal Timothy. Paul wrote and said, Trophimus have I left in Miletus sick. He couldn't even heal Trophimus. I am saying tonight that, that everybody doesn't get healed, but there are some cases that can. I recall right over here in Chicago, a little lady in our church was having brain surgery. That's something, Doc, you'll never have to worry about. But, uh, but having brain surgery. You're laughing there, buddy. It'll make headlines in the Tribune if you ever have any trouble on that line, too. But anyway, um, uh, the lady was having brain surgery. And uh, so I went to the hospital to pray for her early one morning, high up on one of the hospital buildings in Chicago, and I was about to pray. And the doctor walked in and said, we have to have the surgery now. And I said, doctor, uh, I, I, I just want to have a brief prayer with the little lady. And he said, don't have time to have the prayer. She's scheduled for surgery now. And I said, doctor, time or no time, we're going to have a prayer before she leaves. And uh, so now, and he said, no, we're not. He said, it's time for surgery. I said, no, it's time to pray. And he got huffy, and I got righteously indignant. And uh, so uh, he said, uh, he said, I am the doctor. And I said, I am the preacher. And he looked at her, and he said, would you tell this reverend to get out of here so we can get you ready for surgery? And the little lady said, doctor, would you go out in the hall while we have a prayer meeting, please? Amen. And the doctor huffed and puffed. He huffed, uh, he huffed 
out of his nose and puffed on his cigarette, and he huffed and puffed out in the hall and said a few choice words. I think he's very spiritual because he put God's name in one of them. And uh, he uh, said a few uh, choice words and cursed a bit, and the doctor, uh, finally, the, he came, he, I got through prayer, and I said, Doctor, now you can come. And I prayed, Dear Lord, there's a, there's a heathen doctor out there that needs somebody to prove that you're, you're able. And, by the way, they showed me a picture of the x-ray. There was a tumor on the brain. You could see the tumor on the brain in the x-ray. They rolled her out. <coughs> the x-ray was in the room. They rolled her out. Had five-hour surgery, they said. Maybe, maybe longer. Less than an hour, they rolled her back in the room. And I said, Doctor, what's wrong? He said, Nothing. I said, uh, Well, you through a surgery? Didn't have surgery. I said, Why? He said, We gave her the air test and the tumor's gone. I didn't laugh out loud in his face. But I wanted to. I wanted to. Let me tell you something. Brother, don't you ever disclaim the fact that God can still perform miracles like He always did. I could tell you case after case. Well, you say, I know a lady had a tumor, and, and, uh, and I prayed for her, and you prayed too, and she had to have surgery. Yeah, I do too. I'm not saying it's always God's will to heal the sick, but I'm telling you one thing, brother. If the church of Jesus Christ would learn to pray and fast and hang on to God, I believe God would do some things for us that surprise even the strongest faith in this building tonight. This kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. This kind cometh by nothing but by prayer and fasting. I recall down in... In Garland, Texas, a little girl in our church, and you've heard me tell this many of you, a little girl in our church, four years old, named Epinette. I could, I could take you to the house tonight. Murray Epinette, her father. Little Epinette baby <coughs> had cancer of the kidney. They took her to St. Paul Hospital, a Catholic hospital. And uh, I'll never forget it because she's the one. And you Catholics don't get mad. She said this. Remember these hats that the, that the nurses used to wear, the Catholic nuns used to wear? Remember the folded up like this? And the little girl, this is the little girl who said, Mama, look at the nurses with the cowboy hats. And uh, I'll never forget it. And uh, so on, uh, uh, St. Paul Hospital, and they removed a kidney, cancerous, eaten up with cancer. They removed the kidney, four years of age. In a few months, word came, Pastor, our little daughter, four years old, the other kidney now has cancer. They've given her less than, I think, said five weeks to live. And Mrs. Epinette said, Pastor, would you come over and would you pray and would you anoint the baby with oil and pray? And uh, so I, Bill Harvey was with me then. Bill will verify this story. Bill Harvey and I got a bottle of uh, olive oil. Dr. Bob Gray uses three-in-one oil. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. <coughs> but uh, I, uh, I use uh, olive oil. <coughs> so I got some olive oil. We went over to the little baby's house. And I, we, I said, listen, let's confess our sins and ask God to forgive us our sins. And let's, let's leave it in the hands of God. If God wants the baby in heaven, we'll let God have the baby in heaven. But I said, and I said, let's anoint the baby. And I took a little olive oil on the finger and put it here on the head. I said, olive oil didn't do any good. I know it. Your baptism didn't save you either, but you're commanded to do it. And so I um, put the olive. You say, Brother Hiles, I, did. I thought you were a Baptist. I, I'm still a Baptist. I'm like that Baptist lady up in the Catholic hospital that rubbed that doll at midnight and said, Lord, don't let this doll fool you. I'm still a Baptist. I'm still a Baptist. And uh, so I, uh, <clears throat> don't worry about me. I'm, Baptists were anointing with all 1,800 years before there ever was a Pentecostal preacher or church. And uh, so, uh, by the way, that's five weeks to live. I was in Texas a couple of years ago, and a beautiful young lady walked up to me. She said, you know who I am? And I said, no. She said, my name is Epinette. 
She said, years ago, you came to my house and prayed for God to heal me. I had cancer, only one kidney, and said, uh, I'm alive. In fact, she said, I'm getting married in a few days. And I got, a, I got an announcement that she got married. I'm simply saying somebody ought to believe God again. Somebody ought to, ought to have a God that can answer prayer. Somebody ought to have a God that can heal people. Somebody ought to have a God that can care of the hard cases. Somebody ought to have a God that can save the alcoholics. I'm simply saying this kind, the tough kind, the supernatural kind, the miraculous kind, cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. There are mighty good churches that you can build, but this kind of church is going to come by prayer and fasting. Did you know this church right here was built on prayer and fasting? In the early days of my ministry here, day after day, I'd go without food and go and pray all night long for God to give us the kind of church He's given us here. I had no idea it'd be this kind. I had no idea that we'd have this many people. I had no idea it'd ever be the biggest in the whole world, attendance-wise. I had no idea it'd ever be what it is. But I did want God to give us a real New Testament, Holy Ghost, supernatural, miracle-working church. And I, I prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted. I can recall night after night, I'd pray all night on the road somewhere and wouldn't eat for two or three days maybe and pray and fast. When I went to Miller Road Baptist Church in Garland, Texas, I prayed and fasted for the church there. This kind cometh by nothing. This kind of conversions. Did you know that I prayed and fasted when Dick Wilson, one of our deacons, got saved? I prayed and fasted for God to save Dick. I prayed and fasted for... uh, uh, Paul O'Brien, one of the most miraculous conversions I ever saw in my life was Paul O'Brien's conversion. I prayed and fasted for Paul. Paul, where are you here tonight? Here he is over here. I prayed and fasted. Dick, where are you? I prayed and fasted for Dick to be saved. And uh, I prayed and fasted. How many of you remember old Dutch Schultz used to go to church here? I prayed and fasted for Dutch Schultz. I went over here to on Columbia Street, the Trader Court, 5015 Columbia, and uh, <coughs> knocked on the door. A big old fellow looked like my dad came to him the door. And uh, I said, my name is Jack Hiles. I'm pastor of First Baptist Church. And this fellow said, my name is Dutch Schultz. He said, look what I can do. The fellow went in, went in his uh, trader, trader or mobile home. He got a, opened the refrigerator, got a can of beer, and he said, I toast to you, Jesus. He toasted to Jesus. He drank it. Then he got another can of beer and said, Jesus, you're a fake and I know it. I toast to you. Only man I ever saw that ever drank a toast to Jesus. He cursed God and and literally threw me out. Now he didn't he didn't pick me up by the by the collar and the seat of the britches and throw me out. You know why? Because I was running faster than he, than he was, and <clears throat> he didn't do it. But uh, I uh, I got, and he cursed and literally. I mean he he would have he would have picked me up and tossed me out and. Uh, but I, I, I decided one time, I got burdened about old Dutch, and I got to praying and fasting. And I went, went again and got kicked out again. And I, I, for, for many weeks, one day a week, I prayed and fasted for Dutch Schultz. One day a week. One day old Dutch called, he's in St. Catherine's Hospital, he called and said, send me a soul winner, I'm about to go crazy. Jim Lyons went over and won old Dutch to Jesus there in the hospital. And I'll never forget it, because when he got, got baptized... Brother Gifford was up there, bless his memory. He was out up here in this room up here. And Dutch Schultz had got baptized, and he was sitting on a stool. Forgive me for saying it, but in his shorts and undershirt, sitting there on a stool, and he had his hands on his face looking down in the water. And Gifford said, Preacher, guess what he's saying? He was mumbling. And I said, What? He said, he's saying, ha, ha, old baptistry, you think you're so big. Why, he said, I've drunk more whiskey enough whiskey to fill you twice. 
He said, you're not so hot. But he said, I never did have as much fun all my life. And that whiskey as I had getting in you just a minute ago. And uh, this kind. You know how old Dutch got saved? Prayer and fasting. This kind. Sometimes folks, time folks come to me and say, Preacher, I witnessed to my mother and she wouldn't get saved. What can I do? This kind cometh forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Preacher, I, I witnessed to my father. He got mad and threw me out. What can I do? This kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Um, all right. Necessary for the hard cases. Necessary for the hard revival. Necessary for the hard conversion. Necessary for the miraculous cases. This kind, by nothing but by prayer and fasting. But there's a second reason. You're not going to like this one, but I am. Fasting is necessary not only for the hard cases. Fasting is necessary for good health. Sit up straight now and listen to me, because I'm going to talk about pizza for a while. <coughs> fasting is necessary for good health. Listen to me for a minute. Did you know that most everything you eat has been sprayed, DDT'd, or embalmed? Did you know that when you eat, most of the food you eat has been sprayed with poison, the fruit has been waxed and polished, food additives have been added, the bread, the bread is in such shape that the weevils won't even eat it. Leave a piece of bread out sometime to see. They won't have it. You know why? Well, they don't like that embalmed bread. The meat has been embalmed, shots, and so forth. Did you know that the body, our bodies, are just filled with poisons? And did you know that, the, that, the, that to push the food from the mouth all the way through the body and for the food and the, and, and the, and the drink to do its job is a tremendous strain on, the, on the, the energy of the body? Did you know that the body would be healthier if one day a week you put nothing in it? Now laugh if you want to, but it's true. If one day a week you put nothing in your body whatsoever as far as solid food is concerned, why? So that the, the energy that the body normally expands in pushing the food through the body and getting the food allocated, if that energy could be spent on, on pushing the poisons out, the same energy is transferred from the, from the, from the uh, processing of the food, shall we say, in the body to the, to the elimination of the, of the uh, poisons. If you adjust one day a week, what? You, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what it'd do for your health if you just one day a week you wouldn't eat anything. <laughs> you say, preacher, I wouldn't have enough strength to work. Somebody sold you another wooden nickel. You've got a whole pocket full of wooden nickels, haven't you? No, there's nothing quite as silly as you've got to eat to have strength. Nothing is silly. Say, if you don't have three meals a day, you can't get all the work done. It's psychological. It's not true. You can get more work done on one meal a day than you can three meals a day. I can prove it. How many meals do you feed your dog? Everybody, everybody, the, the, the doctor, the, the uh, what, do you, what do you call a dog doctor? Veterinarian. I sort of say pediatrician. Uh, <coughs> everybody, that your veterinarian said to feed the dog three meals a day and, and snacks in between and a midnight snack, if that's what he said, raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, your veterinarian told you to feed your dog breakfast and lunch and supper? Raise your hand. 
I see. How many of you veterinarian told you to give your dog two meals a day? Raise your hand. Now, what do you know? How many of you have a dog and the veterinarian said feed him one time a day? Raise your hand. I'll declare. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if you loved your own body as much as you do, you cocker spaniels? Huh? Did you know that folks are, here tonight, if your dog, if your dog ate pizza, you'd rush him to the doctor. No, you feed your dog a well-balanced diet while you eat spaghetti, which is nothing more than paste that's been left out and dried. And a lot of you folks wouldn't have any innards if they weren't glued together with pizza and spaghetti macaroni and noodles. So there you go again. Yeah, I'm going to go again. As long as you waddle when you walk, I'm going to keep on going at you. <laughs> If you listen, if you loved yourself as much as you loved your dog, I've, I've been out on farms, and I've seen fellas get lay and mash. By the way, lay and mash, doc, that's not for the horses and the cows. Lay and mash is for the hens. I had a deacon one time that bought hundreds of pounds of lay and mash to feed his cattle. And uh, they didn't lay one egg, not one single egg. <clears throat> but uh, this, I've seen fellows on farms that had uh, had uh, the best laying mash for the chickens and the best grain that Neutrina had for the cattle while they ate a hot dog. That just doesn't make sense. Absolutely doesn't make sense. If you took as poor care of your car as you do your body, you'd have to spend as much on mechanics bills as you do doctor bills. I know what you say. Oh, we just can't afford it. We can't afford grapes and nuts. We can't afford those high-priced foods. You listen to me. If you'll eat right, you'll save money on doctor bills, enough to buy decent food to eat. Sit still. I've been, he said, well, here you go again. I've been wanting to go again for a long time. Did you ever see yourself walk from the back? Huh? Let somebody take a movie to you sometime from the rear while you walk. You know why? You're just a glutton to your own appetites, a slave, no resistance, no willpower. Now, I'll say again. If you would fast one day a week, you say, preacher, I'd die. Okay, you're going to die anyhow, and you're going to eat yourself to death, and it's a lot less expensive. You'll leave your widow a lot more money if you, don't, if you starve to death rather than eat to death. You say, what should I do? Okay, you ought to quit your coffee. Do you know that a lot of you folks, if you had a blood test, would be 98% caffeine? <laughs> quit your coffee. What else? Quit your carbonated drinks. I'll tell you what, there's nothing that's ruining this country anymore than Coca-Colas and Pepsi-Colas and oh, orange sodas. And so I'll quit, you, quit that. Quit your snacks. Quit eating your fritos and your bugles and trumpets and saxophones and pianos. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> quit eating them. 
They're not worth a thing. Not worth a thing. All in the world they are. It's filler. You may as well get some sawdust and eat it. Then what should you eat? Eat nuts in place of your snacks. Did you, did you ever see a bugle tree? You think Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden ate off the pizza bush? Huh? Don't you think if God had wanted us to eat like that, he had to put some trees like that? I think God gave us this world for food. The Bible says he gave us, he gave us the plant life for, for meat. And I think God intended for us to eat it as nearly as we can, like God made it. That's why if you'd eat nuts instead of fritos, you'd be a lot healthier. By the way, I'll just say this in passing. Did you know that, you, that, that nuts are far better protein uh, builders, carriers, than most of the beef you'll get in the store nowadays? Then if you, so if you have no coffee, no coats, no, no coats, cokes, no snacks, eat nuts, don't eat any pork. The other day I was down in Hempstead, Florida. Now, we are, Doc, we hardly ever eaten a home. I don't, know, I don't recall the last time that, that I've eaten in a home. But this dear lady, she wanted to have Dr. Hiles and Dr. Rice in the home and the pastor. And she begged and begged. And so what happened? We went to eat in her home. And she had cooked and cooked and cooked and cooked. Would you like to know what she served? Huh? Ham. Ham. And there I was for the first time in my, for years, looking at the back end of a pig. I hadn't done it in years. I looked at that and I said, boy, you and I have not seen each other in a long time. And I said, get a good look at me because we are not going to be fellowshipping a great deal in the future either. But over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it does say, eat what's before you. And so I ate. For the first time, <laughs> you'd have loved it. You'd love to have a movie and show it, wouldn't you? And, uh, but for the first time in years, I ate a piece of ham. I, you say, how did it taste? Delicious. <laughs> I loved it. And I also liked that bread in the gravy, ham gravy too. Real good. You see, it, it, look, the Lord told me to eat what's set before me, and if it's there, I'm going to live it up while I'm in that. <laughs> I know I don't get a chance to sin but once every few years, you know. And uh, one, one thing about pork I like, it's easy to digest. It, they just crawl down. And uh, <clears throat> so easy to digest. Okay, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to convince you, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm as convinced that it's bad for you as I am that liquor is bad for you. I really am. I'm convinced that pork is one of the great causers of our high blood pressure, cancer, and so forth. Now, say, why don't you preach the Bible? You tend to your business. I'll tend to mine. But now, what I'm trying to say is, see, you got me off the subject. I was preaching on fasting, but you got me all the, all those questions you kept asking, and and uh, I'm, I, what I'm saying is, you, if you had fast one day a week, now what do you mean by that? Okay, you begin one day a week having a juice fast. 
Now, you don't, it doesn't have to be one calendar day. You can fast from noon Monday till noon Tuesday. Or you can fast from uh, 6 o'clock Wednesday to 6 o'clock Thursday. But for 24 hours every week, have nothing in your body that's solid. Nothing. On a juice fast. Now, as soon as you can, I'd say after a few months of that, then change it to where you don't even have juice. I'd suggest you just have water. And I'd, if I could, get some distilled water. Um, and if I could. But I'd suggest that maybe you, you get uh, a little honey, maybe um, oh, uh, t- uh, half a teaspoon or half a tablespoonful of honey, maybe a teaspoonful of honey, and a teaspoonful of lemon juice. And put the lemon juice, or if you want to use honey and water and, uh, and uh, vinegar. Uh, forgotten the name of the vinegar. Apple cider vinegar. <clears throat> and that'll be all right. But that, what that'll do, that'll aid the process of eliminating the poisons from your body. Did you know that it's a law of God that everything needs to rest one day a week, one out of seven? It's a law of God. God intended for the land to rest one day a week, and the land doesn't, one, 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 day, one year out of seven. The land doesn't rest one year out of seven. The land won't bring as much harvest as it would if it rested one year out of seven. Did you know the body will be stronger if you let the body rest one day a week? Let the, di- let the energy that is used for digestion that one day be used for elimination. I'll tell you what you could do. If you want me to just get a little, little medical, you could take, and let me be very frank, and no, no giggling now, and no laughing at this. It's going to be a little bit, little bit frank. But you could take a specimen from your kidneys at, uh, before you start to fast and after a fast, and you'll find the poisons that your body will eliminate during a fast. So one day a week, wonderful thing. Now you say, preacher, how about what if I what if I uh, fast for a burden? I'd suggest you not have, not have any kind of fast over three days to start off with. I'd say no, no longer than three days. If you have a burden for somebody who's unsaved, if God has broken your heart about something, if you have something you've got to have, some of you fellow starting churches this, this, this spring, or this summer you're graduating from Howells Anderson, and you're starting churches, and you want to shake a city for God, then say, get some time, maybe a holiday time, and go alone in the woods somewhere and fast and pray for about three days, and don't eat a thing. You say, preacher, I'd die! No, you won't die. You won't die. Now, if you fasted 30 or 40 days for the first time, you'd probably die. But, uh, but not, not, not three days. Fasting is good for the body. Fasting, necessary for hard cases. Number two, necessary for good health. Number three, necessary for good character. For good character. <coughs> you know what's wrong with this country? One thing wrong? Weak wills. Weak wills. Weak wills. I've told some of the students and I've told some of the faculty recently at the schools. I believe that a person ought to personify his will. Make his will, think of his will as being a person and his body as being a person. And let the will command the body all the time. I mean, look, your, your will ought to decide what you eat. Your will, and if you'll say to your, to your body, uh, you can't have anything to eat for three days, or you can't have anything to eat for one day, for 24 hours, you can't eat. And along about uh, mid-morning, the body says, uh, I'd like my morning coffee. And you say, sit still, I've made my decision, you won't have anything to eat for, for a day. And along about noon, the body says, uh, look, look, McDonald's is right down the street. And they're working for $13 million, and I want to be sure I help them do it. <laughs> and you say, buddy, 
No food. I've made my mind about you today. No food. Body says, feed me! Sit still! Feed me! Sit still! Feed me! That's what the Bible means when it says that our members war with each other. Did you know that most of the people in this room tonight are the body controls the will instead of the will controlling the body. And that's one reason why you don't have any character. And that's one reason why you don't have strong, uh, strong, uh, make, make good decisions. That's one reason why you don't have, you don't have wisdom. That's one reason why you don't have any strength and moral fiber. You know why? Your body tells your will what to do. Get to the place where your will says, body, you do what I say. And there's not a thing in the world that'll help you do it. Develop a strong will like fasting. Brother, if you can say to your body, Old fella, you're not going to eat 24 hours. And he says, You want to bet? Yep, I'll lay odds on that. Well, I've always had my way. Yeah, but you wait, you, your day is over. Long about midnight, long about 11 o'clock, it's time to go to bed. I don't care who you are, boy, that's the toughest time not to eat. And so you go to the refrigerator and, and your body says, I want you and you and you and you and you. And the refrigerator says, empty me. <clears throat> now then, there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. And your heart says, please don't eat, body. I've worked all day and I'd like to have a little rest tonight. But you... you you, you fill up and you stuff up and you stuff up and then what happens? Your old heart has to work extra hard. Do you know the heart's supposed to have a chance to rest? Benjamin Franklin said, eat no supper. Eat no supper. Of course, now, bear in mind this, he didn't have to pass by McDonald's and Burger King on the way home either. But uh, what happens? Uh, so what happens? The will yields to the body. Listen. Get the place to where your will says, Body, you do what I say. And if you can keep your body under subjection, not eating for 24 hours, or maybe sometime for three days, then you would have built a will that defeats the body. The, the body says, I don't want to study. The will to say, Hell, you study. I'll decide who studies around here. The body says, but I don't want to go soul winning. But the will says, I decide where you go. Take off soul winning. But the body says, I want revenge. I want to get back at him. And the will says, I'll decide what revenge you get. But the body says, I want to be popular. And the will says, I'll decide how popular you can be. But the body says, I want to be critical. But the will says, I'll decide whether you're critical or not. But the body says, I want to quit school. And I want to get in the ministry right now. I want to quit school and go ahead and get in the field right now and get in the church. I don't want to wait and prepare myself. And the body says that. But the will says, you will stay in school. I'll decide. I've made up my mind. You're not going to tell me what to do. But the body says, I want to quit and go home. But the will says, you're going to stay. I decide where you go. But the body says, I want to get married now. But the will says, I'll get married. You'll get married when I tell you you can get married. But the body says, I want a pet neck. But the will says, I'll decide when you pet neck and you're going to wait on that. But the body says, I want to get close to her. But the will says, I'll decide where you, where you go. But the body says, I want to stay in bed in the morning. But the will says, I'll decide when you stay, how long you stay in bed. Now get up. 
And the body says, I want to eat bad food, but the will says, I'll choose what you eat. When you get to the place to where your, your body is a servant and a slave of your will, and your will operates your body, and your will tells your body what to do, then you'll have some character, and you can be successful. But until you get to the place to where your will controls your body, you'll not be successful, you'll not have any character, you'll sleep. Listen, I told the teacher, teacher the other day, did you know... The alarm goes off in the morning. And, and, the, and the will says, Foot, move! And the foot says, I'm paralyzed. <coughs> and the will says, Get up! And the body says, Could I just stay in bed, Will? Another five minutes. That's why you get those alarms. You push a button, it goes off again in five minutes. See? And the will says, Get up! And the body says, I can't get up. I've been getting up every morning. The will says, Get up! Do you know that's one reason why most people who oversleep do it because of a lack of character? And I can prove it. You woke up, didn't you? And went back to sleep. That morning you didn't make it to work It was on time. It was not because you didn't wake up at all. It's because you said, I'm just going to lay here five more hours. Huh? Huh? You know what your trouble is? Your body controls your will. You say to your body, get up! Get up, you lazy hound dog! Get up! And the body gripes. I don't want to get up, but I always obey you. Now, now, how can you start that? Somebody asked the other day, how do you develop your will? Nothing will develop a will like fasting. Nothing. And by the way, Did you know that basically good character is the will controlling the appetites? Did you know that's what really good character is really all about? When the will controls the appetites. Your will should say, body, this is how much you can have to eat. You know why you overeat? Huh? Eyes. Boy, it looks good. Boy, look at that chocolate and that whipped cream on top and a cherry on a whipped cream and those bananas along the side. Man, I haven't had a banana split since I was a monkey. <coughs> huh? Now, if, you're my, if your will says, body, what you need today is a banana split. As Dr. Billings says facetiously, I used to say, Joe Lewis looked over and chocolate, a piece of chocolate cake said, Eat me, Joe. And Joe said, I can't. I want to be champion. Eat me, Joe. I can't. I want to be champion. Eat me, Joe! I can't. I want to be champion. Dr. Billings said he ate a whole chocolate cake because he wanted to be the champion chocolate cake eater. <laughs> and... Uh, of course, he's kidding. The truth is, he stays trimmed. But I'm trying to tell you tonight that, that this matter of fasting has wrecked, the fact that we do not, has wrecked, in many cases, the local church. We do not have the power we ought to have because we have not ever become under subjection to the will. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whosoever will may come. 
Whosoever will, it's the will. When the will is developed, and the will is the most powerful force in the human nature, then a person has character. How do you get it? The best way to get it is fast. Dr. John Rice says it takes more character to diet than for any other single activity. I can go a step further. It takes more character to fast than it does to diet. You know what you'll do? When I go on a fast and I, I begin to lose weight. Now, I, I keep it up about 175 all the time. I weigh every morning. If I were 174, I eat a little more. If I were 176 or more, I eat a little less. And I stay about 175 all the time. But you know, after I've been on the fast for a while, and I get where I hate to eat anything at all. I was proud of myself. Then I have to fast some more to get over the pride. But, uh, but I enjoy it so much. I, 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 it's an accomplishment. And before you know it, you'll look in the mirror and you'll say, Boy, I'm sort of proud of you. I don't think that's unjustifiable pride. I think you'll look and say, You've, you've finally conquered your appetites and the will has taken over and the will is the boss and now how do you do it by fasting now I don't want anybody going out here and having a 40 day fast tomorrow in fact you can't have one tomorrow it'll take you 40 tomorrows but uh, I don't want you starting a 40 day fast tomorrow I, I would love to for your health sake I'd love for you to take one day's food a week think that's now think about it now for a minute what do you pay on groceries a week? Huh? What do you pay? Mrs. Bordway, what do you pay for groceries a week? All right, say $35. What's the seventh of 35? $5. $5 times 52, that's $260 a year. You could buy a gift certificate for your pastor and give it to him as a gift. What I wish you'd do is, is I wish you'd, uh, let's see, uh, how many of you spend at least $50 a week on groceries? At least $50 a week? All right, spend $50 a week, a seventh of 49 is $7 a week. That's almost $400 a year. Think how many direct obligation bonds you could buy with that money. When I die, I'm going to say, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. And the office will be open between 8.30 and 4.30 for direct obligation bond. But I wish you would take a day. And I wish you, I wish you could sometimes. And I'm going to close. I wish sometimes you could know the joy of having a broken heart. Doc, I won't go into this, but I fasted three days when I was praying down Howells Anderson College. I fasted and prayed, didn't sleep, didn't sleep a wink for three days. I was praying down Howells Anderson College. I cried. I didn't care if I ate or not. I recall one day, I was praying out in California, walking up down the expressway all night long. I walked and prayed and cried. I had a long-distance telephone call, and God had performed an unbelievable miracle. God had given us the equivalent to $200,000 that day. I've been praying all night long and fasting for a day or two. 
I know something about it. I can tell you case after case. I recall one year in Garland, Texas, I decided to see what God could do in a revival meeting. We didn't get an evangelist to come in. I preached it myself. We didn't get a song leader. Bill Harvey was my singer. We used Bill Harvey. We didn't put out any publicity. We didn't put any posters up. <coughs> we just told the people to, to invite their loved ones and go soul winning. And We had no high-powered preacher come in or, or evangelist at all. I went down to the Lang Motel, five miles down toward the, inside Dallas. I rented me a motel room in the Lang Motel. I didn't need a bite of solid food for, for, for the entire revival. I preached every morning and every night for the entire meeting. And all the time, we weren't in services, just about all the time, I was on my face in the room by myself in the Lang Motel. I didn't even unmake the bed. I just stayed on my face. And I prayed, and I said, Oh, God, show our people what you can do. And I'll never forget it. Do you know there are seven men pastoring churches tonight who were saved in that revival campaign? Anybody know Johnny, Johnny Williams? Anybody know Johnny Williams out in California? Johnny was saved in that revival campaign. Last I knew, Johnny was on the, the governing board of the Baptist Bible Fellowship. He is saved in that campaign. You know why? This kind cometh by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Thank you for listening and if you like this please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group Jesus Answers Prayer.